Good morning, and welcome to Valley Baptist Church, and thank you for welcoming me back. I really appreciate that. If you go ahead and open in your Bibles to the book of Titus, chapter 1, it's towards the back of your Bible. If you see 2 Timothy, you haven't gone far enough. If you see Hebrews, you've gone too far. Um, so it is, like Gunnar said, it's really, really a joy for me to be able to come back. Um, I grew up in this church. It's a joy to be able to come back and to stand here in front of you and preach. Um, especially today because it's Father's Day. I get to see my dad on Father's Day. That hasn't happened in years. So that's really exciting for me. So if you've got your Bibles open to Titus, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, Like Gunnar said, we're taking a short break from the book of Matthew to work through this book, which I think will be really good for us. Um, It'll be good for me to be able to work through an entire book. Hopefully you guys can learn something. Let me go ahead and read from Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, a bondservant of God, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested, even his word, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word, and I thank you for the opportunity that I have to teach it. I thank you for the people of Valley Baptist Church who are willing to let me come and teach. Thank you for Pastor Gunner, who has entrusted me with this, and I thank you for the skills that I've been able to develop to teach. I pray that you bless me, bless us, help us learn well. I pray all this in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so as we read this, visualize Paul as a wise, older man who knew his place before God and before other men and had a passion for the gospel. But he knows that his time on earth is drawing to a close. And so we see Titus. Titus is a young man, a strong man, who also had a passion for the gospel. And Paul knew that. And Titus has been called by God to serve in church leadership. So as you can imagine, Paul has many things to say to Titus. He has warnings about the struggles he'll face, advice for future problems, reminders about the joy and the pain that ministry can bring. And through all of these things, the main thing he wants to, he wants to note is the faithfulness of God and his goodness in all circumstances. So as I preach today and for the next couple of weeks, my goal is to walk through the book of Titus, to learn as much as I can, to help you guys learn as much as you can. Um, I'm really excited to do that, like I said, because it's a fantastic book with many applications for the church, for this church, Valley Baptist Church in Valley Center, California. I'll get started today by just praying for our time, and I'm going to run through some background information on the book, and we'll dig into the first four four verses here. So please pray with me and for me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, again, I thank you so much for the gift of your word and the time you've allowed me to spend studying it. I pray that you'd bless our time today as we study your word and hope to understand it. All this in your name. Amen. So when I first started at Moody, one of the one of the classes I took early on was a class in Bible study and like methods, study methods. And one of the important things that they teach you is how to study the Bible. I mean, Bible college makes sense. And one of the first steps in doing that is to ask questions. Anytime you come to a book of the Bible, anytime you come to a passage, something you don't understand, you want to ask questions. And it makes sense because, you know, if you get a new neighbor, you're going to ask them where they're from. How many kids do they have? Where do they work? It helps you understand who they are and what they do. And so 
a lot of times when you ask questions of the text, the answer is right there. So if you ask, who's the author of the book of Titus? Well, the first word tells you the answer. It's Paul. But sometimes the answers aren't as clear as we need them to be. We don't know who this is, like which Paul this is. We know his name, but that's about it. So let's look and try to see who Paul is, why he wrote this book, because that will tell us a lot about the book of Titus. So if you turn towards the front of your Bibles, look for Acts 26. If you see Romans, you've got to keep on going. If you see Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you haven't gone quite far enough. Just looking for Acts 26. And you can hold your place in Titus because we'll be back there in a minute. And so Acts 26 is where Paul gives a testimony before King Agrippa. It's his defense. He's in captivity. It's kind of a rough situation, but it's a good example of his story and a good, like, just walkthrough of his story. So I'm going to kind of read some, some verses here, and then as I read, I'm going to just jump out of the text and give some explanations, brief explanations. So Acts 26, verse 1. Agrippa said to Paul, You are permitted to speak for yourself. Then Paul stretched out his hand and proceeded to make his defense. In regard to all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, I consider myself fortunate, King Agrippa, that I am about to make my defense before you today, especially because you are an expert in all customs and questions among the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. And so we see here, Paul is standing before the king. Um, The background to this story is that he had been arrested in Jerusalem. Um, The Jews didn't like what he was doing. But he says, King Agrippa, I'm thankful to be standing before you because I know that you know the customs of the Jews. You'll understand the story. So verse 4. So then, all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. So here we come across a really important detail about Paul. He was a Pharisee. He was raised as a Jew, learned in all the Jewish traditions. This is important, and this becomes really important later on. Verse 6. And now I am standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I am being accused by Jews. This hope that he's speaking of is the Messiah who is promised throughout the Old Testament. As a Pharisee, Paul would have memorized the entire Old Testament. He knew it back and front. He knew all the Jewish traditions. And he would have seen this hope, the promised hope of the Messiah. And so he's saying the Jews know this hope as well. And they were persecuting him for it. Let's pick it up again in verse 8. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock many of the saints in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, but also, when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme, and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them, even to foreign cities. And so Paul is detailing his life before Christ, before he knew Christ. He's saying, this is who I was. As a Pharisee, I was tracking down Christians, I was killing them, and I wasn't content just to kill them, And to track them down in my own city, I had to chase them to their cities. Verse 12. While so engaged, as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. 
And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among me, among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And so we see here, Paul details his story, how Christ radically reached into his life, changed the direction he was going, and gave him a new direction. He told him, you're going to be the one who brings the truth of the gospel to Jews and to Gentiles. Now, I want us to just pause for a second and say, this is a really good example. This first couple of verses of Acts 26, a fantastic example of having a testimony, having prepared a way to defend your faith and defend your personal story of your faith. Um, like I said, this is Paul, and the setting is he had been arrested in Jerusalem. He was before a king. He was going to, going to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. This was not a comfortable or easy time for Paul, but he was ready with the defense of his faith. Let's pick it up again in verse 19. So, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision, but kept declaring both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. So having obtained help from God, I stand to this day testifying both the small and great, stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he would be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And so he wraps up this section by saying, I've been, I've been faithful to the calling of God. I have done what he told me to do. And this is who Paul was. Paul was a man who was faithful to God's call. He was a man who continued to preach the gospel even when he was persecuted for it. And um, this, is, this is the man he was. And so... We're going to jump next to Galatians 2, if you can flip there. It's towards, towards the back of your Bible. And this is another example of who Paul was. So Galatians 2, I've got to find it for myself. Galatians, Ephesians, there it is. Perfect. So in Galatians 2, this is Paul's explanation of another part of his backstory. Um, like I said, he was a Pharisee. He knew the Hebrew scriptures back and forth. And after his conversion, he realized that even though he'd studied the Hebrew scriptures, he knew the Old Testament, he didn't understand where Jesus fit into the picture. And so he went and he spent many, many years studying, learning, trying to understand who this Jesus was. And so if you look at Galatians 2, verse 1 says, Then after an interval of 14 years... I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. And so here we're getting a little bit more into who's the recipient of the book of Titus. I'll say more about that in a minute. So verse 2. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who are of reputation, for fear that I might be running, or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who is with me, though he was a Greek, 
was compelled to be circumcised. So the background here, like I said, Paul has been studying the scriptures for years, and um, this, in this case, he had spent many years in the desert, or um, he spent some time in Ephesus, a couple of, all over the place, and he was studying to try to understand how the Hebrew scriptures and Jesus could align. He went to study everything he knew, and then to take Jesus and see where Jesus fit within there. And when he went up to Jerusalem, in verse 2, because of a revelation and submitted to them the gospel, what that's referring to is he went to the Jerusalem authorities, the apostles who were in Jerusalem, and he told them, listen, here's the gospel. Here's what I've been preaching. Here's what I've studied from the Old Testament and who I know, what I know of Jesus. And he wanted to compare it to what they were teaching to make sure that it was the same thing. And if you think about it, it makes sense because this is Paul who is persecuting the Jew, persecuting the Christians, excuse me. And so the, the authorities in Jerusalem, the Christians in Jerusalem, would have questioned him. They would have said, okay, we saw you killing people over here, and now you're saying you're one of us? So this is Paul defending himself, defending the gospel that he's teaching. He's saying, no, I believe the same as you do. I teach the same as you do. And so this is really significant. But this is also a bit of a sticky situation because... If you remember from when Gunnar went through Acts, in Acts 15, there was a church council to discuss a major issue. That issue was whether or not Gentiles had to be circumcised. And Paul is going to Jerusalem for that purpose as well, to say emphatically, no, Gentiles do not have to be circumcised to become Christians. As an example of that, he brings Titus along with him. Titus is a faithful, godly Christian. And you see in verse 3, Paul did not allow him to be circumcised. And so this really reflects the kind of relationship that Paul and Titus had, that Paul trusted Titus enough to bring him along as an example of godly Christian, of a godly Christian Gentile. So now if you can turn, it's just one book to the front of your Bible. In 2 Corinthians, we're looking for 2 Corinthians 7, 6. At this point, I'm just going looking at who Titus was. So again, another question to ask about this book is, who is this Titus guy who he wrote to? And so obviously the book is called Titus, and it's written to Titus, but there's more information we can learn about it. So again, 2 Corinthians 7, we're looking for verse 6, which says, But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Now I want to step back for just a second and say, this is Paul saying that he was depressed. And not only that he was depressed, but that God comforted him. And so I want to just say to any of you here who have struggled with depression, if that's something that you've, you've gone through, have worked through, like God is there. God will comfort you. And it's not at all or in any way something that you need to be ashamed of or, or worried about. Like that is something that God, God sees that. God understands the pain. And he, he wants to bring you comfort. And Paul himself has experienced that kind of depression. But we see here that Titus comforted him. And that's really significant because that tells us a lot about who Titus was and how Titus would have interacted with Paul. Paul was this great spiritual authority. And here's Titus bringing him comfort. And so that tells us that Titus had a very pastorally minded heart. Titus was willing to step forward and bring comfort to even people who were authorities and leaders. 
And so then if you read down through the next couple of chapters in 2 Corinthians, you don't have to do it now. I'm just going to point to a couple of verses. If you can see 2 Corinthians 7, 14, um, he mentions Titus there as Titus. He says, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be the truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. And then chapter 8, verse 6. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would complete in you this gracious work as well. And what we see throughout all these references, and there are many, many more throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, is that Titus was a faithful man. He was someone who Paul loved and respected and trusted. Beyond these, we don't know many things about Titus. We know that he was a Gentile. We believe that Paul was the one who converted him. Uh, If we see here in the introduction to Titus, if you can flip back to Titus, um, verse 4, it's Titus 1, 4. Paul says, Paul calls Titus, my true child in a common faith, which reflects, again, that very close personal relationship that they had. And it shows that Paul was willing to align with Titus. Even though Paul was a Jew and Titus was a Gentile, he was willing to say, no, we are one in Christ. You're my true child in a common faith. And that reflects, um, that's a very carefully worded statement of spiritual kinship and a common authority, which is important because this book was written to, written to be read by the public, by the church. And so another thing that's really important to consider in the book, in understanding this book, is how it fits in with the rest of the New Testament. Um, so it's one of what's called the pastoral epistles. An epistle is just a letter. Um, and these are written by Paul to men that he had personally mentored, and they contain personal instructions for ministry. So if I can get the next slide, please. I'm just going to kind of give you an overview of the epistles. So you see the general epistles were books that were written to a group or to a church, um, and they contain general instructions for the church, but then also specific instructions tailored to that church. Um, the prison epistles are similar, but we make the distinction because they were written from prison. And then finally, the pastoral epistles, as I mentioned, were written specifically to men who were serving in a pastoral role, and it contained specific instructions to them. One little side note, the book of 2 Timothy really could be one of the prison epistles because it was written from prison, but that's okay. And so this is important because Paul wrote 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. You've got to ask, like, what's the difference between them? Like, how, like how, how does it make a difference? Like, what, how does it matter? Why does it matter? And another important thing to consider is how Titus fits within the other pastoral epistles. So First and Second Timothy. What's the place there? You don't have to flip there, but if you if you ever if you want to, if you have time later, you can look at First and Second Timothy and compare the length of them to the length of Titus. First and Second Timothy are both longer. The introductions are shorter though and much more personal, and the tone between the two is very different. First and Second Timothy are very fatherly and gentle in tone, but Titus is much more. Down the line, matter of fact, get everything done. A big part of that is that Paul understood both of these men. He understood their positions. He understood what they had gone through, how they had come into faith. He had heavily invested in training both of them for many years. He considered them his spiritual sons. But the difference in tone reflects a difference in how much he knew the church. And so there's this this shift in Paul's life situation. Um, Can I get the map really quick, please? So the, these letters would have been written. It would have been in 1 Timothy, then Titus, then 2 Timothy. 
Um, he would have written these after he returned to Jerusalem. So remember, in Acts 26, he was in Jerusalem with the riot. And then he went up this kind of up the seashore to Caesarea. That's where he was stood before King Agrippa. And then from there, he would have kind of followed this trek up and around Cyprus and just through here, down past Crete. He hit Crete after he wrote the book of Titus. And then from Crete, he would have gone on to Rome. And so, like I said earlier, at this point, Paul knew that his time was running out. He knew that he was, he was fading. His, the end of his life was near. And so he had this goal and this desire to preach and to share as much of his experience as he could. He wanted these men who he's writing to to learn well and to be faithful to their churches. And so he tailored these epistles specifically to each church. And part of the reason that First and Second Timothy are much more fatherly in tone is that Paul knew that church. That was a church at Ephesus he was writing to. And he had been there. He would spent many, many years there. Whereas the book of Titus, he didn't really know the church. We're not 100% certain whether or not he visited the church in Crete before he wrote this letter. Um, in any case, he didn't know them very well. And so he writes the letter much more generally, and he writes it to establish Titus's authority to teach. And even in seeing this, he didn't really know the church. He still had a deep concern for them. He loved that church. And that reflects Paul's love for the church in general, the global church. And that's very similar to even our love for our missionaries. I know we have missionaries in Romania who I think very, few, very, very few of us have ever been to Romania to visit the church there. We have, we have missionaries who we support in Italy, and very few of us have been there. Um, and those are just two that I can think of off the top of my head. But the example is that we know these missionaries, and we love and support them, even though we've never been to visit them. And so, even with this lack of involvement, Paul knew and loved the church, and that's why he wrote these instructions to Titus to say, listen, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to take care of the church. He was deeply concerned for them, and he wanted to establish Titus as the official leader and cast out any doubt about his role. And so he had the authority to do this because he was an apostle. And if you see in Titus 1.3, he had this authority because he was entrusted with the, with the proclamation of the word. And so then he shows in verse 4, like I said earlier, that he aligns with Titus and gives him the same authority to preach. And I'll get back to that and touch on that a little bit more later. And so with this understanding of who the book of Titus was written to and then who wrote it, we can begin to understand the purpose of the book. Titus 1.5, which we'll look at in much more detail next week, gives us a lot of insight. It says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Paul wrote this letter with instructions for the church in right living, together with how to act toward God and others. Part of this was messages directly to men, women, and children, which we see mostly in chapters 2 and 3. Part of this was instructions for choosing godly leaders, which we see mostly in chapter 1. And the third and final major part, which I want to spend some time on, is instruction in sound doctrine and how, um, how to teach sound doctrine. And so I'm going to just do a little bit of jumping around within the book of Titus. If you'd flip probably just one page back to Titus 2.15... It says, these things speak and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. 
which things? If you want to look at it later, it's the, the verses 11 through 15 there. It's just solid instruction for solid things to teach and instructions for how to live. And the main thing he's getting across in this section is sanctification. It's a $3 theological term, which I will define in a minute. And then you can see again in chapter 3, verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Again, you've got to ask, which things? What is he talking about? In this case, he's talking about the previous four verses, from verse um, 4 through verse 8. And he's, again, this is the core of the gospel right here. If you want a great example of the core of the gospel, Titus 3, 4 through 8. He talks about the kindness of God and his love for mankind. He talks about the way God saved us. And as we'll see as we continue throughout the book of Titus, these are the pillars of the book of Titus. Salvation and sanctification. Now, like I said, those are the $3 theological terms. I want to, I want to take a minute and define those. Um, salvation refers to God's work of saving people. And sanctification refers to his work in their lives after they've been saved to bring him closer to him and make them more like himself with progressively less sin. These are the, this is the core of the book of Titus. The gospel is the core of the book of Titus. So with this understanding of the book of Titus, with some of the main themes, the author, the recipient, let's spend some time in the text. So if you've got your Bibles open, turn again to Titus 1, chapters, or verses 1 through 4, and I'm going to read it again. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago, but at the proper time manifested, even his word, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And so the first thing we see here is that Paul identifies himself as a bondservant of God, but also as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And this is important because the false teachers he was writing against, if he just identified as a bondservant, would have scoffed at him. A bondservant was not a positive term. Um, Roman soldiers were told to kill themselves rather than go into slavery. Um, but it was an expression of humility and service to God. And Gunnar mentioned to me, that, I mean, I know you guys have been working through Matthew. In the past couple of chapters in Matthew, there's a lot of talk about, you know, he who is, uh, he who is first shall be last, and his last shall be first. And this is a very similar idea of humility. And Paul, as an apostle, understood this. He was willing to humble himself so that God could be glorified. He could claim the title of bondservant, but also the title of apostle, because he had been called by God with a specific purpose and a specific uh, aim. And what was that aim? It was to preach the gospel. He was entrusted by God with the gospel. And his authority to teach, we know, came from Christ and not from himself. And that's something in this passage he wants to make really, really clear. He's an apostle, but he's also a bondservant. And the second half of verse 1 is really critical. For the faith of those chosen of God, and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. These are those two terms again. 
salvation and sanctification. God's work of saving people and God's work of making people more like him. And all of this, according to verse 2, is for the purpose of the hope of eternal life. Let's step back for a minute and try to understand this. Paul says that he's an apostle so that first, God can bring people to faith, and second, so that he can draw them closer to him in obedience. And that both of these things are for the hope of eternal life. That is, both of these things give them and give us confidence of eternal life. This is our hope. These themes of salvation and sanctification are important because they they give us hope. Today, in Valley Center, California. Like I said, these are major themes throughout the book of Titus. Um, I'm excited to get to dig into the text later in future weeks and unpack this a little bit more. But we also see that Paul doesn't stop here. He goes on to explain that this hope that they have, that we have, is the same hope that God promised long ages ago. Remember I mentioned earlier, the hope of the Messiah. This is the hope that God promised, the hope of a Messiah and our rescue. And he adds in the truth that God cannot lie there in verse 2. So he puts a strong emphasis on the certainty of the fulfillment and on God's faithfulness, which really is no surprise because Paul does emphasize those things in his other letters as well, especially in the book of Romans. And so as we move on to verse 3, he continues this thought by describing the way in which God has manifested the hope of eternal life. Paul says it's the word of proclamation which has been entrusted to him. So a couple interesting things to notice in this verse. Um, If you see, he says it's at the proper time. The word used for time is, uh, carries with it an idea of being just the right time, like exactly the right point in time. But Paul also says it was through just the right person, himself. And he says this just to establish his authority, not to brag or to boast. Um, But in this, he really illustrates the power of preaching. This hope that we have is brought through the power of preaching. And it reminds me of a time, my freshman year at Moody, I was on staff at a church leading music for them every week, and the pastor told me that he was going to be out of town, and he asked me if I'd like to preach. Once I figured out he was actually talking to me, because I was 19 and wasn't really sure what he was talking about, uh, I said, yeah, sure, I'd love to do that. I'd love to preach. Uh, So he gave me my passage. I went and started studying, started preparing. And as time went on, I just, I felt underprepared. I felt inadequate. I didn't know why. He'd ask me to preach because I didn't think I was ready at all. The day, the day that I was supposed to preach came up. I went to church. I was sitting in the pews, still feeling inadequate, underprepared in every way. And as I got closer for the time that I was supposed to preach, I kept praying and praying and praying. Like, Rapture now. But, no. <laughs> no. And, but I, realized, I realized as I got into the pulpit and I started preaching, I still felt inadequate and underprepared. That never changed. And some way or another, I got through all my points, made all the points I wanted to make, missed a bunch of stuff. So I felt bad about that. And I went down for the final song. I felt terrible. I felt I just goofed that. It was the worst sermon of, I've, of anybody's life ever. This was terrible. But after the sermon, after church, I had five or, ten, like five or six people come to me. And this is in a church of probably 40 people. It was a small church. Five or six people come up to me and say, hey, thank you for preaching today. I learned something. I was encouraged by that. And so 
I still, I don't think that was a good sermon. I still think that was a bad sermon. But God was able to take that and he was able to use that to teach and to help people understand the gospel. And so that's the point that Paul is making. He's saying, even though I am a bondservant of God, I've been called by God as an apostle to preach the truth of the gospel. So it is God who does the work, not humans. And Paul wanted to make it clear that his goal was to glorify God. And he wanted Titus to do the same thing. And we see this in the very next verse. Again, I mentioned it a couple of times. He wanted to align himself with Titus. He calls Titus a true child in a common faith. And again, Paul was a Jew. He wasn't supposed to associate with Gentiles. If he did, he became ceremonially unclean. He couldn't participate in temple worship. He couldn't go to the synagogue if he was unclean. But we see here, he's aligning with Titus. He's saying, no, he is my true child in a common faith. And so if you notice the length of the greeting here, you've got four whole verses of Paul greeting Titus. You don't have to flip there, but if, you, if you're interested, just write this in your notes. First and second Timothy, the introductions are much shorter, showing that it was a much more personal, but also showing that Paul didn't expect them to be read publicly. This one, he wrote four whole verses. It's actually just one long sentence, um, and that establishes authority. It establishes his authority. It establishes Titus's authority. And that means, I believe, that Paul expected the church to read this so that they would understand that Titus had this authority to teach. And that they would also understand that the false teachers Paul refers to in Titus 1 were not authorized to teach. They were false teachers. Paul denounced them as false teachers. So what does this mean for us today? So what if Titus was not, was or was not the leader of the church there? So what? if Paul was given the gospel to preach the hope of eternal life? What is the impact for us today? One of the big takeaways is that relationships formed around the truth of the gospel are critical. Paul and Titus, remember, spent years studying the gospel together and doing ministry together, faithfully serving God together. And that kind of study, that kind of work, impacts your life, and it changes the way you interact with other people. As I was preparing this sermon, I had a couple of times when I felt really discouraged. I just, I didn't know what I was doing, and I was struggling to focus. So in those moments, I reached out to friends who I've studied with, friends I've done ministry with, and I asked for prayers, I asked for advice, and you know what? Within a couple of minutes, each and every one of those people had responded saying, hey, I'm praying for you, saying, hey, have you thought about this? I experienced that this week with Gunner. Gunner was a great resource and just constant great feedback for me. Um, and it was really, really helpful. And I'm sure, Gunnar, you could, you've had similar experiences. Those kind of relationships, the relationships you form in ministry and around the study of the word are incredibly meaningful. Another thing we see in this passage, though, is that Paul knew his place as a bondservant of God and as an apostle of Jesus Christ. When we understand our position before God in humility, we begin to understand what he has called us to do just like Paul did. Paul understood that his calling as a minister of the gospel was because he was a bondservant of God. And that allowed him to minister very, very powerfully because he knew how much, how, he knew the humility that was required to preach the gospel. And that's something that I want to be really, really careful in because I recognize that I've been, I've been gone for three years. I've been gone studying God's word at a 
fantastic school, getting a top-notch education. Um, but that's not something that I need to be prideful in or I need to boast of. That's something all glory to God. But then to flip it around, for you guys, many of you are years older than me and have had many years of experience in studying the word and faithful service. And it would be really easy for you to look at me and say, oh, what's this young whippersnapper doing in the pulpit? But I'm really thankful that you don't. I'm really thankful that you have not written me off in that way. I'm also really thankful to Gunner because Gunner has been in the ministry much, much longer than I. I was probably this tall when Gunner started preaching here. And for him to see me grow up through those throughout my, my teenage years and then to trust me with the responsibility of preaching here and teaching the gospel, teaching the word of God, is a really incredible opportunity. That's something I'm really excited for and really thankful for. And so that that reflects a concern with the advancement of the gospel. And that's something I want to be really concerned with as well. I hope you guys are concerned with that. I know you are. And something I'm excited to see throughout the book of Titus. I'm excited to see what we'll learn, what we'll learn together. I'm excited to see what I can dig into the book of Titus and pass on to all of you guys. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word for the book of Titus specifically. As we go through this book and study it together, help us to learn. Help us to understand your word. Help us to understand the points, the, the, the implications that it has on our lives today. Help us not to grow weary of study. Lord, I do pray that as I prepare, I would be able to lead effectively and work through this book uh, with this congregation. I thank you for the congregation. I thank you for their humility in allowing me to preach. And I pray that you'd bless us, help us be safe today. All these things in your name, Lord. Amen.